0: Hello, and welcome to The Art of Listening, a podcast about classical music, conducting, composition, the business of music, and how to listen to it all. With me, as always, is conductor, composer, and violinist, Gabriel Gordon. Gabe, how are you today? Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Jeff. I'm doing great. How are you doing? I am doing fantastic, and I am so excited that this is episode three. You know, we just got done releasing our first two episodes. We've had a lot of great feedback. And if you guys are out there listening to this podcast for the first time, don't forget to subscribe. Share this with your friends. This is a brand new podcast where we're going to be dealing with all things classical music. And, you know, Gabe, last week we spent a lot of time talking about stories stories learning about the symphony, learning about all the different aspects of instrumental music. We actually did have a few people uh, write into to us over at your website, GabrielGordon.net, and even on Twitter. Um, got a couple of questions for you, if you wouldn't mind here. Oh, sure. Couple questions coming in. First one here is asking about the symphony. Why call it a symphony? What is the difference between calling it a symphony and just a nice long instrumental piece of music?
1: Yeah, well, the the symphony changed over many years, but basically it's four movements in particular forms. You've got what we talked about last week, the sonata allegro form or first movement form, an aria or a slow movement, uh, minuet, um, and that became the scherzo and a rondo. Sometimes they switched around the form where the slow movement became the third movement and the minuet or the scherzo was the second movement, but basically that's what it was.
0: And, of course, we want to have your questions come in. The more episodes we have, the more opportunities. Gabe, where's a great place that people can find and reach the podcast? Uh, You can go to GabrielGordon.net
1: and you can listen to all of our episodes there and uh,
0: sign up for them. Now, in today's episode, Gabe, we're going to talk about a subject that you and I have had a lot of experience helping others with, how to play in tune. What does it mean to play in tune? And we're going to discuss today this concept called perfect pitch. I'm sure this is going to ring a couple bells for anybody out there. If you have perfect pitch, interested in learning how to pick up perfect pitch. Maybe you don't even believe that perfect pitch exists. We would love to hear from you guys. Go on over to the website, hit us up on Twitter. We would love to hear from you guys. And again, don't forget to hit that subscribe button. And Gabe, this goes really into our second audience question of the day is how can the audience, how can somebody listening to music tell what key a piece of music is in? What do you think? Well, I think that composers picked
1: keys for particular things and for the particular story they were listening to and that they were writing for so like for instance c major is a very bright and happy key and you wrote things that were happy in that sense and if you wrote a piece in f minor then that was particularly dark and beethoven actually really liked writing in c minor and in f minor and those keys are they they sound dark. They sound sadder. They sound different than the other keys.
0: Well, let's break this down a little bit for people who might not be as musical savvy. Here, we'll hit, we'll hit this topic really quickly. When you say key, uh, let's define the term musical key for anybody who might not be familiar with that term. So yeah, uh, keys
1: came from the ancient Greek modes. Uh, they were Ionian, Dorian, Phrygian, Lydian lots of different names uh, in Greek. Um, yeah, and the, <laughs> I know, <laughs> the, the the you don't have to know what those are. Um, but uh, the modes were actually musical scales in a certain pattern. Um, and that's like a whole nother episode that we can talk about that. But by the Middle Ages, modes became associated with particular notes. So Dorian began to start on the note D, and a- Aeolian on A, and so forth. And when you take those notes associated with that pattern, starting on a certain note, you actually get a key or a key signature. So if you are doing D Dorian by necessity because of that pattern, you have one flat, D flat, um, that's associated with that key. And that became, that became a key. So keys are scales and modes.
0: Did we always have key signatures? I mean, if you go back to the last couple episodes here, episodes one and two of this show, we said that, you know, Beethoven had symphonies, Mozart had symphonies, but Bach did not have symphonies because it just wasn't invented yet. Was Johann Sebastian Bach composing in keys? Were people behind him, in front of him composing in keys? When did this whole concept start? It was really in the Middle Ages. The the church...
1: After you know, in, in the Middle Ages, really took over um, all of all of Western classical music at that point, and they they had these particular modes that you know you could and couldn't use depending on um, what they felt the morality of that particular key was. It was very very important to them, and uh, it really wasn't. Uh, until after the Middle Ages and the Renaissance that people started thinking of these scales in particular ways and started making keys and really the key signature what we know as the key signature is a shorthand for those modes so really it was a matter more of convenience than anything else
0: now, you had mentioned a couple of these modes that we know about. Uh, I think the two popular ones, of course, are major and minor. And, you know, my my seven-year-olds might describe those as being happy and sad. Uh, just layman's terms here, what makes these things sound more happy or more sad?
1: Well, it, you know, it it really kind of depends. I have uh, heard some pieces. I mean, there there are people who say that a major key is definitely happy. And in general, that's true. Um, I have some great uh, melodies, uh, particularly in Tchaikovsky's Sixth Symphony, um, where there's one of the saddest themes I've ever heard uh, is in A major. And um, it really kind of depends on the context. The, The main technical difference between the minor key and the major key is the third degree of the scale and if you raise or lower it if you raise that third uh then it's a major key and if you lower it then it's a minor key and it plays on our emotions for whatever reason that those particular modes and that's really what they are the 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 major mode and the minor mode They
0: just feel happy or sad. You said degree. I would assume you mean notes like so C, D, E or C, D, E flat would be the difference here. Exactly. Exactly. Is it true or is it fair to say that all musical pieces start in the home key, the key that they're named after? Uh, No. As a matter of fact, Beethoven famously uh, in his
1: very first symphony, the very first chord, is in another key and that was one of his big revolutionary things most symphonies at the time began with the home key chord and very often like an announcement um, this is the key and beethoven used actually what's called a a five chord of a five chord so he took he was just in a completely different key and started the symphony in that key and the, the audience had no idea what to expect he was kind of poking fun at the audience saying, you have no idea where I'm going. That, that wasn't a mistake? No, it was not a mistake. He was definitely saying, we are heading off in a new direction and you're just going to come with me. It was pretty amazing.
0: So how do we know? How do we know what the key is? I mean, we're going to describe a, a few different techniques that are used by musicians of trying to figure things out, and, and we really want to hear what you guys think. Again, don't forget to uh, write to us, leave a comment, leave a review on our podcast. We're just getting started here, and we'd love to hear from you guys. Now, as we're looking at this, you know, the question is <sighs> notes. Perfect pitch. Do you believe in perfect pitch? Do you, do you, do you, do you, do you think you have perfect pitch? What is perfect pitch? Yeah. So perfect pitch
1: is it's, it's kind of a controversial topic. There are a lot of people who think you're born with it. Um, I don't particularly think so, but just to define it really quickly, uh, perfect pitch is the ability to identify a note without any help. Um, if somebody you know, hits, a, hits a note on the piano, then you are able to I, not only identify what that note is, but if it's sharp, flat, or um, what have you. And so you're able to do that with any note, even, even if there's no discernible pattern uh, to those
0: notes. So if you are walking down the street and you heard a car horn, you should be able to know what the pitch or pitches are.
1: Yeah, in most Carhorn's cases, they're in minor thirds, and so you would be able to identify both of those pitches and what key it's implying, even.
0: Do so <laughs> you need to have perfect pitch to be a, a musician, a professional no,
1: musician? No, no, it, it's, it's not completely necessary, uh, but it is very useful. Under many different circumstances, and uh, I, in particular, don't think that it's something that you're born with. I think it's something that you develop. And many children uh, who seemingly are born with this um, are actually uh, just listening, uh, really, you know, really particularly, and are able to recognize these patterns very quickly. And that is their particular genius. But I don't think you can really be born with it.
0: Let's break this down because I think this is a controversial topic. I know, you know, going through my years in music school and being a music teacher for 20 years, uh, I've, I've had these conversations many times. Yeah. We define perfect pitch as if you hear it, you know what pitch it is. Right. And my argument to that is if you close your eyes and I said, think of a circle, does that mean you have perfect shape? Or if I said think of a you know think think of a stop sign, does that mean you have perfect color? Why are these things not considered extraordinary, but perfect pitch is? Well, I think
1: I think it's because there it it probably takes a little bit longer uh, to develop this uh, than most other things. Uh, although it's true that there are many children that develop it rather quickly, but. Uh, the the ability to recognize patterns with your eyes, I think, uh, is, in my opinion, just simpler and easier to do. Um, really, developing the ability to hear colors in sound is what we're really talking about, which is, I think, more more complicated, a more a more complicated concept than just seeing uh red on a stop sign
0: is that more complicated than picking up the telephone and knowing who the person is on the other end before they say hi this is that person you know actually it's probably not it's probably not
1: that much more complicated i actually like to talk to my students you know encouraging them to uh, you know, keep on practicing you know, a particular thing with the bow. And I said, you know, it, just, it just takes time to do that. Um, and I like to give the example of learning how to walk. And everybody learns how to walk. And when you're uh, literally a toddler, it probably takes uh, you know, two, three, five, or six months before you really become an expert at it. And you're practicing it a lot. Uh, throughout that time. When you're older, it's harder to learn things and it, it just takes longer. So you don't think about walking now it's something that's actually incredibly complex thing to do. You just need to practice it just like your bow technique. you need to practice it.
0: Now when we're looking at pitch, there's two different terms that we use and maybe there's others, but I always look at it as perfect pitch versus relative pitch what's the difference
1: well uh, so that actually i think it's probably best to describe my experience um many many people say that i have perfect pitch i i think i think i can recognize pitches pretty readily but that started with me being able to hear the note A over and over again in orchestras. I started playing in orchestras, in full symphony orchestras, when I was eight years old. And so I've been, I listened to that note A, um, because that's how the orchestra tunes uh, from the oboe uh, with that note over and over again. And so I started comparing notes, other notes that I needed to hear to that note A. Which happened to be a four hundred and forty A, and we can talk about uh, wavelengths of. of <laughs> other show. Yeah, that's like a whole other, a whole other podcast right there. Um, but uh, so I used I used to compare notes from that A, and then I was able to extrapolate that. That is relative pitch, being able to extrapolate a note based on a note that you recognize.
0: So you, you have a reference point, right? And 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 you know if I said to you, sing me an A. Um, in fact, let's just try this right now. I'm going to put you on the spot, and I'm going to put myself <laughs> okay. on the spot. I'm going to give three, two, one, and we're both going to sing an A. Okay. Let's see how we do it. Are you ready for this one? Okay. Three, two, one. A. Now that's the difference between a violinist and a viola player. Now. Yeah. I remember hearing stories from my grandfather. I don't know if we've ever talked about this. My grandfather used to be the organ tuner for the Philadelphia Orchestra at the Academy of Music. Did I ever tell you this story?
1: You did not tell me this story. That's
0: amazing. And he actually was the organ tuner under Eugene Ormandy. I have oh, to believe God. this is true. I have no proof. There's no way that I can figure this out. But he always told me this story. And and according to my father, this is a true story. But yeah. you know, he would drive into Philly and tune the pipe organ, the big, big, big pipe organ. And right. the, the idea, you know, and his punchline to the joke was, um, you know, if Eugene Ormandy decided to you know, wrestle some change, Eugene Ormandy being the famous Philadelphia Orchestra conductor, could tell you that you've got two dimes a quarter and a bus token. Right. <laughs> but the fact is on a pipe organ, which was hundreds of pipes, you needed to be able to tell exactly what pitch you were in. And I know when I hear an A in my head, I differentiate between the sound of a violin or viola because that's what I've played forever versus hearing an oboe sound. Now let me ask you here when you hear an A in your head, what is the original pitch of that a? Is it a violin? Is it an oboe? is it a something different?
1: Yeah and you know it, it, there it's funny because there are people who can hear on a piano, exactly what the note is, but then they listen what we call a different timbre, and uh, they're unable to do it. And this particular time, I can tell you that I was listening to my violin at that point. Um, it definitely used to be oboe, um, and there are times when I'll hear a piano, I, I, I couldn't tell you why. That
0: is, (laughs) but. And I'm curious, do you do you hear that differently when you're playing or versus when you're on a podium? I know for myself, when I'm on a podium and I think of an A or when I'm studying a piece, my A comes from an oboe in my head. But when I'm in a quartet situation, my A in my head comes from a violin.
1: Well, I can also actually I don't know if I've ever told you this, um, but I have synesthesia. Uh, Sorry which it's 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 nothing it's extremely useful in what i do synesthesia is basically uh when you hear uh particular sounds uh generally musical sounds you see colors and uh so when when i hear the note a it really depends on what the instrument uh is playing and what the context is so and therefore what the color is and um it's kind of why i usually don't like to sing because (laughs) the colors from my voice are not very nice
0: and so now i wish i knew that when i was back in your room uh, trying to stand like the color of a d major scale right I had no bloody idea what you were asking me to do, even to this day.
1: <laughs> so let's get back onto the see now. <laughs> I know that's that's like one of my favorite. Oh, favorite torture. Yeah, exactly. Forms of torture, right?
0: <laughs> so so the question that we're trying to figure out here is how do you tune, right? Because an orchestra tunes to an A, and there does come a point, and I've asked many band teachers this, there comes a point in time in every band instrument instrumentalist life where somebody looks at the trombone player or the the trumpet player i would say more uh maybe the clarinet player and says you know that a you're playing that a is really a b flat or that a is really a you name another key based on the tuning of the instrument um right you're obviously not a band person you're a strings person and 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 what are your thoughts on this whole thing you're trying to teach Tuning, you're trying to teach pitch, and at some point in time, you have to realize that they're playing an A, but they're sounding a, a yeah you know, B flat a or B-flat. Or like right. So that what you're as a conductor, about, right? Like you have to look at a score, right. and you're not looking at C equals C. You're looking at C equals B flat, and you're like, "Oh my goodness, my head's all screwed up now."
1: Well, that's that what you're talking about is is called transposition, and uh there it it's it's something you just have to learn because each instrument each of the wind instruments are tuned uh in a particular way and if you want uh an instrumentalist say let let's talk about the clarinets because they have to change between um a and uh b flat clarinets um all the time uh, and you want the clarinetist to be able to keep the same fingering for the same notes. That's essentially the, the reason why you have transposition uh, for those. It's less confusing. It's actually less confusing for the instrumentalist, more confusing for everyone
0: else. More confusing and, for everyone else who's doing all the score study and, and, and doing exactly. that.
1: Although I, I'll tell you what, I mean, there are, there are certainly people better than I who can literally look at a score and see clarinet and A, horn and F and trumpet in in B flat and just be able to play on the piano and extrapolate that on site, uh those
0: chords. And I frankly have no idea how they do that. It's, I, it's kind of <laughs> I, I, I almost was there and then I just it got too much for me. And, right. <laughs> it's, you know, it's just really, really, really hard. hard. All together. <laughs> but you know at the same time what what I was
1: able to do over you know, a, a few years really of training um, is I can I can sight read that particular part in my head, and I can hear that in my head, and that's really the important part as a conductor to be able to hear those parts in your head, not necessarily translate that to piano playing um and you know i'm just not a pianist so that's why i have trouble with that
0: you know it's an interesting concept it's an interesting theory that we're discussing i mean what we're talking about really is that perfect versus relative where yeah, I have an A in my head and somehow I transpose that down an octave and I can tune a cello. Um, I can tune that down another octave in my head and I can tune a bass I can figure out all these different things based off of a common pitch I can I can hear a fifth I can hear a fourth the way I do music theory is different than my piano playing friends do music theory. You know, Most people think a, a C to a G is a perfect fifth, and I think of a C to a G as like first finger to first fingers are perfect oh. fifths, or first fingers to high second fingers are major six. And I've got the whole string theory, but if you were hearing a string quartet, could you relatively easy figure out what key they were in? Versus if you were hearing a brass quintet, could you re- relatively easily figure out just because the instrumentation's different.
1: Yeah, well, uh, me in particular I can tell uh, what their what their key is, you know, depending on what the composer is doing. Um, you know, with like beethoven if if beethoven starts off in the wrong key then you kind of have to wait a little while before you know the key establishes itself but once the key establishes itself i can hear it pretty instantly no matter what the instrumentation is um i guess i would have more trouble with uh you know tibetan monks uh, singing because I'm not <laughs> I'm not yeah. used to listening <laughs> to them. I've only heard them a couple of times, but generally, whatever the instrumentation is, I can I can hear what key they're in uh, pretty quickly. But all that takes is training. I mean, really, I talk about how you know I can't play at the piano. Uh, you know, all these different transpositions. Um, really, the only reason
0: why I can't do that is because I haven't trained myself to do that. So let's go in that direction as we wrap up today. If you're a musician, a professional, amateur, brand new, you've got a student at home who's trying third, fourth grade, how do you learn how to play in tune? How can you test yourself to know, did I play that scale in tune? Am I doing it right? Um, What are some of your tips and tricks for just learning intonation?
1: Yeah. So. Uh, Two things. One has to do with technology. First of all, uh, I heartily recommend that you record yourself because the stuff that's happening under your ear while you're playing and you're really focused on playing um, is not necessarily the stuff that you're hearing that's coming out. So if you record yourself and then you listen with some distance, there then you're going to be able to better judge it's like somebody else is is playing it so you're better able to judge whether or not it's in tune or not so that's number one and number two the best way to develop your intonation as well as perfect pitch is to play with drones and when i say a drone like if you're if you're playing notes on the a string say uh then you would you could play your D string uh, along with it to compare those notes and compare those intervals and make sure that you're playing those in the right place. If you're a wind or a bla- brass player, then you know, take one of those uh, metronomes that has a pitch generator on it and play along with that. I would not recommend, as many people do, uh, taking one of those meters Uh, where you're actually tuning each note according to that, because that has to go with uh, even temperament. And again, that's a whole nother episode on our podcast uh, about even temperament. You you really should tune against what 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 I call a drone. Um, And hopefully that drone is in the key that you're playing. That's really the best way to develop it.
0: So let that be a lesson when you're uh, shopping through your B&H catalog for drones. You need to make, one, make sure that you find one out there that's in concert pitch. Right.
1: <laughs> exactly. Not flying. We would love I'm
0: to crying. know what you guys think on this subject. And of course, would love to have you guys be subscribers of this podcast. If you are a lover of classical music, conductor, composer, musician, anybody out there who's looking to learn a little bit more about the art of listening, don't forget to hit that subscribe button and share this with your favorite musician friend or quartet buddy and uh, Gabe, you know, we got a lot of great stuff coming up here, but one of the things I know we're going to be featuring on this show is interviews with musicians, with conductors, with composers, and we would walk, welcome anybody out there. Where should somebody reach out if they'd like to be featured on this very program, Gabe, what's your oh, website yeah. and email addresses? My website is
1: gabrielgordon.net, and you can contact me there and you could just email me at Gabriel at Gabriel
0: We want to say thank you one more time for making The Art of Listening your home for classical music. On behalf of Gabriel Gordon, my name is Jeff Bradbury. Until next time, enjoy the music.